3: It has been six months since the massacre at Tops Markets. A lot has happened since then, a lot of grief, a lot of activism. And it's really taken, I think, a course where it has changed people. We're, we've looked at many times on this program to the degree that it has changed the community. But today, I think we need to talk a little bit about the way it has changed certain people, the way it has sparked certain advocism, uh, activism, uh, advocacy, And one of the people that perhaps illustrates that the best, more than a lot of others in the community, is Mark Talley. Mark lost his mother, Geraldine, during the shootings. And since then, he's taken the mantle of activism and created an organization that's taking some of those issues much further down the road. We will be looking at that through the balance of the program. But as I said, this is six months. And uh, each day, this program looks at the problems that were laid bare And that focus, I think, could possibly obscure something else that happened. People lost lives. And as we look at their lives, we look at some of the six months of activism that their deaths inspired. Celestine Cheney was 65. Her granddaughter Kayla spoke with NPR's This American Life.
0: Kayla Jones says most of the words you'd use to describe a grandma apply to hers, Celestine Cheney. She could sew, was active in church, and loved to host. The family would often get together at Celestine's place for parties. Like, real parties. Grandma had a bar, like she used to have, like at her house, a lot of people come over for like, they have game night. You know, our game nights be like Uno and stuff, but their game nights is like gambling with like card games and stuff like that, and they bingo. So that's why they, like a lot of her um, sisters and her cousins and stuff, they come over and they do all that.
3: Friar Nicholas Spana was one of the individuals who spoke about her life at her funeral. Every time she talked with friends and family, he said, she was that light that shone through whatever darkness might be present. Andre McNeil went to the tops to buy his three-year-old grandson a birthday cake. This American Life found his TikTok videos, where he'd lip-sync and dedicate songs to his wife.
2: The most TikTok thing Andre does in the 37 videos he posted He lip-syncs to hip-hop and R&B classics. In one, he mouths along to Raheem Devon's 2008 song, Customer. Andre looks right into the camera in these videos, the frames super tight around his face and chest, and he emotes. He puts his hands to his chest and his temple and points to the camera. Landing the lyrics
3: with- Pastor Tim Newkirk of GYC Ministries played basketball with McNeil.
5: He was a person that everybody oh knew in the community. He was a loving father, and he was an help. iconic because. brother, you we know, and he was doing what he was supposed to do, staying in his neighborhood, better in his community, better in his neighborhood, with his family and his loved ones.
3: Catherine Massey was 72, one year when Governor Cuomo turned down her request for neighborhood improvements. He said her block club should take up the issue. She didn't have a block club, but she got some letterhead and sent it off to the governor as if one existed. Betty Jean Grant is a close friend.
0: She was a warrior. She is a warrior because we're going to keep her legacy alive. Cat adopted a school, Futures Academy. She bought the first uniform for those children at that school, one person using all private money. She was able to get this, the um, New York State Department of Transportation to put the African signs on the concrete that faces the abutment that faces her house. She um, was able to help form the Cherry Street Block Club and got that park at Jefferson Cherry Street. And the thing is that all those people who were massacred, the guy chose the best. If he couldn't, if he could, had selected people who had made a difference, who were very well loved and had done so much for the community, he couldn't chose anybody but them. It seemed like he chose the best of the best.
3: Her activism inspired Grant to push and rename a stretch of Cherry Street from Mortimer to Jefferson Avenue in her honor, and the Andurka welcome symbols like the ones that she put on the walls of the Kensington Expressway now grace the windows of the newly remodeled tops on Jefferson Avenue. Margus Morrison was 52. He'd gone to the supermarket to buy chicken. Regina Patterson, the mother of his three children, spoke about him to Channel 2 News
6: beautiful guy, loving, caring. He took care of me and his daughter. He was our hero. There's nothing that uh, he he wouldn't do for us or his mom.
3: And after that, his cousin Michelle Spite, who also was a niece of another victim, Pearlie Young, spoke on Capitol Hill, part of the emerging activism after the deaths.
6: I will not stop until we take a candid look and keep the focus where it is. On May 14th, there were 10 victims who lost their lives and three who will never probably have the same capacity of life again until we put aside our differences of our political stance, be it Democrat or Republican, be it black or be it white, and focus on the matter that white supremacy is alive and well that it need be called what it is that it is not some deranged delusional person who acted this way but he was Motivated, He was educated, and and he was fed a daily appetite of hate. This is what we need to look at, America. So I challenge you all behind the camera, since you have the power, that you change your articulation and that you focus on what the focus is. It shouldn't be on to the next shooting, the next event. Let's park right where we are until we see change.
3: Haywood Patterson, often known as Deacon Patterson, 67 years old, Penny Beckham runs the Plate of Love soup kitchen at his church. She tells This American Life that he would talk to anyone, regardless of why they were there.
6: Most volunteers, she said, don't
0: spend a lot of time talking to the people who come in, some of whom are in a pretty bad way. But Deacon Patterson would go in and he would talk to each individual. He wasn't judgmental, he let them know that their present state was not their expected end and he would tell them about God's love and how God's love transformed him from who he was to who he was that day.
3: Misty Walker was a high school classmate of security guard Aaron Salter.
0: Walker says she graduated from Hutch Tech in 1984 with Salter, who went on to work for the Buffalo Police Department.
6: He survived almost 30 years of being a police officer in Buffalo, in Buffalo. So to get killed at a grocery store
0: on a second job as a security guard is ridiculous. Buffalo police said Salter fired at and hit the gunman, but the gunman's tactical gear prevented the bullets from doing any damage.
3: Ruth Whitfield's death sparked calls for action, too, from her son Garnell Whitfield, speaking before Congress in these past six months.
5: My mother's life mattered. My mother's life mattered and your actions here today will tell us how much it matters to you. I ask every one of you to imagine the faces of your mothers as you look at mine and ask yourself, is there nothing that we can do? Is there nothing that you personally are willing to do to stop the cancer of white supremacy and the domestic terrorism terrorism it inspires? Because if there is nothing, then, respectfully, senators, you should yield your positions of authority and influence to others.
3: He talked more intimately about his mom on this program with WBFO's Thomas O'Neill White. There's a hole in my
5: in my world. I'm, I'm, my 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 world is completely different than it used to be. You know, so I just plucked probably the biggest piece of my life. Oh, took it away from me. Took it away from my family. And didn't just take it from me. See what you got to understand is that, you know, yeah, it was my mom. But I got two sisters, I got a brother. You know what I'm saying? I've got I got four children, I got nine grandchildren, I got four great-grandchildren. Okay? I got a father who was completely dependent on her. For his quality of life um and there's been innumerable people since this has happened that have coming out of the woodwork and talking about what she meant to them so it's just not a singular thing you know i'm sitting here and you're talking to me and you know i i gotta you know you gotta understand it's much bigger than me it's much bigger than all of us it's much bigger than than i mean in Buffalo Buffalo was different you know you got Yuvalde and I've been I just left I just left uh, you know Washington DC with the families from Yuvalde with the families from Highland Park just last week I was with them and I've been with these families I've been with the Tree of Life synagogue families in Pittsburgh I've been all of the, all of these places and and there's you know in Day, the kids you know and all of the school shootings like these kids innocent kids and it tugs at your heart. Too. It's just—it's just a shame that these kids lose their lives. But what you got to understand in Buffalo is this: this was a white supremacist who killed people in our community that were long-standing pieces of our community. They had deep roots. They were well connected. They touched a lot of people's lives. It's it's so impactful. They took our elders. They took our elders. It's like cutting the heart out of something, um, and it's different. And you know, not to be unempathetic or unsympathetic. I just need to point out that difference between what happened there and what happened here. Yeah, I think people who
4: are not from Buffalo don't understand how tight knit just the region is, but even more specifically the black community Absolutely. within Buffalo. Everyone yeah. knows everyone. Everyone. And know.
5: if they're not your if they're not your blood relative, they're just as close. They're family, man. Their family. We are, um, you know, we, we, you know, we come from different experiences, but at the end of the day, we're black in Buffalo, Mm -hmm. and so there's a commonality there. We're family. We're all connected, man. I had a young lady. I had a young lady call me out of the blue. This 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 lady is I think 34, 35 years old. She reached out to me, and she told me the story about. Having met my mother when she was a young child, having visited our church one or two times maybe, and met my mother, and she's thirty-something years old, and she's talking about how that changed her life, how that impacted her, man. You know what I'm saying? And she's and she's blessing us now through her current position, uh, what she what she's doing now by helping us care for our father. She wanted to do that because she met my mother when she was a child, man. You know what I'm saying? These are these are the kinds of stories, and these are the kind of things we're finding that we didn't even know about. We mm-hmm. had no clue. We knew who our mother was to us. But until she was taken from us and people started reaching out and started talking about their interactions with her, we didn't know. We didn't know how 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 broad, you know, how broad her influence was, how broad her reach was. Yeah.
3: Pearl Young was 77 and a great-grandmother. She taught Sunday school and, at the time of her death, was still a substitute teacher in the Buffalo school system. Her life, like many of those lost, inspired activism that lives on today. Her daughter, Pamela Young, spoke before TV cameras on Capitol Hill.
0: My mother, who was massacred, murdered, and killed on May 14th by a angry person believing the replacement theory But I'm also gonna say that that very same day I called my very best friend, I'm saying this to Congress, my very best friend who I called, her name is Mary Ann. Mary Ann is a Republican, a straight up Republican, y'all. But guess what? She was empathetic toward me. And you know something I tell you guys today? Every single one of us have one thing in common. We cry the same tears. When your tears come down and my tears come down, if we put them in a bottle, they'd all be clear. They're not black or white, Republican or Democrat. They're the same tears, and we need to get that out to people. I got one more thing to say, and then I'm gonna sit down. Listen to me, I sound like I'm preaching, y'all. I promise you that just like that man traveled over 200 miles to massacre my mother and nine others, I will travel throughout uh, throughout New York State telling them that this is not who we are. We are better than this as Americans. Those 10 people who died were the best of Americans. If you had children, you would want your children to grow up to be like them. Civil activists, teachers... Those are the ones that he murdered and shot down that day. But I promise you one thing, every tear that I cry, because I'm going to go back to my hotel room and I'm going to cry tonight, but every tear I cry will be a fuel for action.
3: And Geraldine Talley, remembered by her son Mark.
4: Uh, she was she was funny. Me me and her, we had our, our own special bond, own special humor. She was definitely a... A sweet woman. Life of the party may may kind of be pushing it there, but she was definitely a sweet person, loved her family, loved her uh, friends, loved her children. Uh, if she had it $20 on her, you needed 19 uh, she would definitely give it to you. And for the balance of this
3: hour, Mark Talley is with us. Granted, there are many examples of people whose lives have changed and who have embraced new activism as a result of what happened on May 14th. Mark is uh, perhaps, I don't want to say the biggest example, but a really concrete example. He, after the death of his mother, founded a group called Agents for Advocacy. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about the efforts that uh, he's, un- he's engaged in with that organization and we'll talk, Mark, a little bit about uh, the change, I think, that this whole situation has brought to you. Thanks for coming on in.
4: Absolutely. Pleasure to be here.
3: How are you doing? I, I know that might be a difficult question to ask, but uh, how are you?
4: Uh, all things considered, I'm doing pretty great. I <laughs> can't complain about nothing. Uh,
3: this is one of the things, and I've talked to you before. Uh, full disclosure, Mark actually worked on this program for a little bit at its start um you always seem to in light of uh, in spite of the fact of having lost your mom you've got a good attitude
4: um i just recently um uh, i had a meeting with a gentleman from key bank and we were just talking he asked me the same thing and i uh, you no know, i just told him i mean if i could if i could um uh, give everything i have back to prevent this tragedy from happening To have my mother back i could but unfortunately i can't so like i would tell her all the time i just have to man up and just keep going forward tell me about the group agents for advocacy who are they what do they do i was an organization i started um because of the terrorist attack that happened on 514. basically my goal my job and the same thing i want my organization to do is just try to combat systematic racism and provide awareness on socio-economical equitable, and equality issues. Um, it's our larger goal to hopefully foster a reality someday in which one's race and one's socioeconomic environment shouldn't determine one's future. How do you do that?
3: Is there training sessions? Is there just charitable activity in the community? Is it, <laughs> is it all of the above? Uh, what,
4: what steps is the group taking? Well, as of right now, we were just um, basically throwing a bunch of events in the community from our community barbecue, which we fed over 700 people, our community back-to-school drive in which we provided close to five, 600 children with backpacks, pens, pencils, calculators, and notebooks, and along with our Thanksgiving drive we have coming up, helpful hands-in, giving thanks, in which we'll be working with Friends of the Night People, the African Heritage Food Co-op, uh, Along with our uh, assistance from United Healthcare, uh, possibly NFTA and Wester, in which we're going to be um, having close to 500 meals prepared, along with 200 bags of produce to hand out at the Friends of Night People location, along at the corner of Frankie Mary, was a library. But was this through all of those events? Our primary focus in which we believe we could change all of this is through education. Uh, we believe that people had a better awareness of uh, economic, socioeconomics, their environment, what's going on in the government, the political spectrum, the ideology, uh, these young children, these young adults are following. We believe all of that could have been prevented, and this attack would have never happened. And at the same time,
3: you are addressing the basic needs that exist in the community. You talked about the different donations. What What do you see as the biggest need in the community right now?
4: Jobs and well-paying jobs at that. I mean, asking asking a grown adult with possibly two kids to provide for themselves and their family off of making maybe, what, $14.50 an hour? I mean, that's hard. If we were just to round it up to $15 an hour on average by the end of the year, that's close to maybe $30,000 Thirty to $32,000 take away tax, you know, left with around, what, twenty, twenty-six, twenty-seven thousand 27000 a year. It's hard for a grown adult, you know, let, a, let alone one with a family to look after, but just a grown adult themselves to kind of fend, fend for the year off, fend for the life off of. You spoke of
3: government. Talk about your advocacy work in that regard.
4: Well, when it comes to... When it comes to talking about Congress or trying to get in touch or get a hold with them to talk about the stuff in which our community needs, in which which African Americans in general needs, uh, I believe that's a waste of time, and it's insane to keep talking to them about it. Uh, The American Congress has a rich history of not doing anything or providing in this country for black and brown people. They parachute in. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but but it sounds like you're saying they
3: parachute in after a shooting like this six months ago. They parachute in after Evaldi, but no real change. Is that what you're saying?
4: Absolutely. And that same thing could be applied to the local congress in the area, and especially some of the, the biggest organizations and companies in the area as well. They come in Uh, take their photo ops, get on the news. Because of tragedy, a lot of money is involved in tragedy. So they try to come in, collect the money, get pictures, get photo ops, get some publicity going, and just peace out. After six months, has everyone left the
3: scene? And by, by the scene, I don't mean literally the scene, but have the people who paid attention early on disappeared, all of them?
4: Yeah, all of them. Um, all the fake ones. Some of the main people who were there, when it first happened, are still there. Myself included, mm-hmm. uh, Pastor Giles, Back to Basic Ministries, Leonard Lane and Buffalo Fozers, Western New York Peacemakers, Thomas Buford in the Buffalo Urban League. Uh, even Reveria Octavia, Denise um, Walden of Voice Buffalo. She's constantly there uh, for any of the families if they need anything. So all the, the main original people who were there in the beginning are still there now.
3: But there are others that you wish were still involved.
4: Not necessarily, because you can, you can see the fakeness in people easily, especially growing up You know, on the east side of Buffalo, Cold Springs, Maston Park area. You, know, you can easily just check somebody's, you can just check their temperature, see if they're, if they're real or fake. And you have organizations like the Buffalo Bills who come in, you know, they, they make the, what's the shirt, in racism shirts. And they just come in, sell them to make a profit off the black and brown community. And then they just leave. They put a, you know, they put a athlete out there, black, black, brown athlete athlete out there to talk on behalf of the families while, while they don't do anything. Unfortunately, they said I had to wear the shirt if I wanted to be on the field for the tribute for the families. And because I didn't wear the shirt, you know, they barred me from uh, attending the festivities. And it's ironic at the same time how they're trying to build this stadium off the backs of the taxpayers here in in the community. And yet they don't want to help with those in the community who actually need it.
3: Didn't uh, some of the the T-shirt money go to the Compassion Fund? I think it did, right?
4: It did. A good portion went to the National Compassion Fund, but they've had to at least make close to several million dollars off these T-shirts, let alone how much you know they're making off their regular merchandise.
3: Similarly, and we talked about this before the program went on the air, there have been murals that sprung up all around town.
4: Yeah, I, I hate the murals a lot. I mean nobody it'll be one thing if, if they could just come ask the families this is it okay if we we can put your your mother's likeness uh, yeah yeah they're using they're using her pictures, basically you say absolutely, and most of the families we aren't finding out about this until after the fact, and i I really can't speak for none of the other families, but myself, it just makes me want to want to punch my fist into these murals because it's like can you at least ask, hey, is this okay? Or could it, like, could they ask me what was something your mother would like? Was it, was it the Cold Springs Memorial with the doves? Or was it it's the, the common picture people are painting of my mother wearing a purple shirt and hat? I hate all of it. If they, if they would have just asked me what type of picture would I love for my mother to have, I would just say, can whatever you make, can she at least be wearing red? Because red was her favorite color. What do you feel about the
3: renovated tops?
4: I feel nothing. Um, I got a chance to go into it prior. I uh, went in there a little bit afterwards, and it's just uh just numbness. Kind of like when you just take two ice cubes and rub it on your ear to give yourself a, a home piercing. is just numbness. What bothers you the most six months on? Uh, that people aren't trying to move on. People still want to wanna wallow in self-pity, and people still just want to stay on step one and not uh, take these action actions to go to step two to prevent all of this stuff from happening. You have places like the Resiliency Center who just came in off of getting state grant money to poster up in the east side and once again offer all of these therapy sessions um, trauma sessions when you have organizations like the Buffalo Urban League, Spectrum Health Evergreen um, even ECMC who are offering uh, this community those same sessions and classes immediately following 514 so it's like these companies want you to still still just stay and wallow and be sad and cry constantly so they can feed off of that and make money from it part of the reason i think why why
3: we wanted to have you here today is because you have taken it a step further because you have founded uh an advocacy group is it go ahead tell me more about that because to me that that journey or that that transition from grief to okay now we have to
4: do something um is a huge story i believe it is um Like I said, I mean, the first three days after it happened, all I could do was just basically just stay home. And immediately following, you know, I was out there on Jefferson Avenue for the next 60 days, whether it be with World Central Kitchen, uh, Buffalo Urban League, um, Buffalo Fathers, Western New York Peacemakers, Pastor Giles Organizations, Back to to Basic Ministries. And I was just out there handing out clothing, non-perishable items, produce, Food or whatever, just as uh my way to cope, but once again it's been it's been six months later. I mean, you can't constantly just uh you know wallow in the self- pity because then that's how you end up with a lot more mental health problems, and I think it's time for us as a community, us as a society to do something so we can't prevent this from happening and unfortunately, you know, our Congress and local government. Aren't really helping us that much. At this point, I want to
3: bring in your wife, Rosh. She's with us today too. Um, thanks for being here. Talk about some of the things that have changed in Mark. Again, I don't want to, I don't want to overemphasize the the journey, say from grief to activism, but to me, that's a that's an interesting, compelling story. How has he changed?
2: Thank you for having us, Dave. Um, so he's more focused. I'm um, driven. He's always had that passion to help and do for the community. Um, however, you know, with him dealing with the stages of grief, um, like he said, he did, you know, have some emotional, um, cons- you know, feelings those first few um, days. Um, but he wanted to really do something in honor of his mother, um, which I think that's what's driven him. So um, he's very compassionate um, and focused.
3: And do you think it'll... uh, I'm talking about your mark right as if you're not in the room, but uh, do you think it'll sustain?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, he's he's a quiet storm, so um, absolutely. When he has his mindset on something, he's very driven, um, well-spoken, well-read individual, so absolutely.
3: You you mark in a lot of ways, uh, and again, you've worked on this program, we've seen you around the station before, you do seem to have a quiet persistence. Um, you're not yelling and screaming, but there's still this undercurrent of, damn, we have to move forward.
4: I believe a powerful man has to be, you know, in control of your emotions. Um, you know, especially if you're a black man as well in society. And, you know, given my size, I'm uh, like 6'6", 280, so you know, I can't just be walking down the street, you know, angry, punching people. You know, that's that'll be a recipe for easily for me to, get shot. And ironically, I uh, I wouldn't end up possibly getting shot doing that while my mother's killer, you know, he politely got taken down and sat in the back of the car. All right. When we come back from this break, we'll
3: talk more about community needs, about change, about Agents for Advocacy. It's a group founded by Mark Talley. He lost his mother, Geraldine, during the shootings six months ago today. We'll continue to talk about that as this program rolls on. It's Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. The warrior tradition tells the inspiring, heartbreaking, and largely untold story of Native Americans in the U.S. military. Why would indigenous men and women put their lives on the line for the very government that took their homelands? A
1: lot of people ask, why did you join the white man's war? This is our home. This has always been our home. And part of the commitment to protecting and defending your home led to military service.
3: Hear stories of service and pain, of courage and fear in the warrior tradition. Now streaming on YouTube.
2: Donations come in many forms,
3: a sustaining membership, a one-time gift, even that extra vehicle you no longer need. Learn more about the advantages of donating a vehicle. Here's how, go to
1: wned.org vehicles.
3: And this is Dave Debo continuing our discussion with Mark Talley. He's the founder of a group called Agents for Advocacy. He lost his mother, Ruth, during the shootings six months ago today. Mark, a lot of what the, the group is trying to do, you say, is bring attention to socioeconomic needs to fill some of those needs. You have done uh, benefits and that sort of thing. But you also mentioned earlier in the program that um, racism education is part of it. What can what can be done there?
4: That's a million dollar question right there. It, society. And it's
3: huge, yeah. It's bigger I think than we have the time left to, to explore. But what what do you picture let, let's break it down. What do you picture your group doing and then maybe what do you picture
4: uh the need beyond that being? Oh well I graduated uh from Buff State with my economics degree, primarily uh focused in socioeconomics. Socioeconomics is considered a social science because it encompasses everything about a, a community, a society. Unfortunately, people only, only know about the community and society which they're in, and it's hard for them to relate to people in different communities and in different uh, societies. I recently had a, a great opportunity to talk in my former high school, Canisius, and they just wanted me to talk to the uh the freshmen there about the the same thing of uh, what my organization is doing and how I felt regarded in five fourteen and while I was talking to them, you know, I just asked them how many how many of them have ever you know even breathed some air from the east side and nobody raised their hands, hmm. so more than likely you have these affluent children you know going back you know their, to their affluent home with their affluent parents. And it's kind of hard to relate in a field of struggle, you know, by somebody who's never felt that struggle or pain. When I was working at ECMC, this, um, it's this organization or department, they're BRAVE, and BRAVE assisted the sexually assaulted um, female victims. And the majority of the staff were all female. And at the time, you know, I didn't understand why. You know, I figured, um, you know, if you're trained in something, you could easily be able to help these women. And I was working in patient registration at the time. And I got, I was able to go into a room, and I was about to talk to one of these uh, sexual assault victims. As soon as I get in there, she just starts screaming. Because you're male? Absolutely. And I did understand it then, but doing everything I'm doing now I kind of understand and I mean somebody who just got sexually assaulted presumably by a male they don't want to see and once again this this big male coming in the room to ask them some question after one of the most horrible times in their life and unfortunately in America people don't want to experience the trauma that other people have to go through I mean I highly doubt somebody from from East Amherst or Orchard Park, will want to come stay in Cold Springs for a week. And you do have, uh, you know, other organizations who I'm trying to partner with, such so as Slow Roll Buffalo, and and uh, Open Explore Buffalo as well. Both these organizations, um, they do bicycle rides uh, through areas, and they have tours through the uh, predominantly East Side areas as well. And some of the people in those communities don't like it because it's seeing like they're, like it's a zoo, a zoo exhibit. Like you get to come down here, look at the black people, look at the poor areas, and you get a taste of what it feels like to be there. Is, is
3: the economic abandonment, is the disinvestment, to your mind, a direct offshoot of the lack of integ- integration. Could we do better if more white guys from Orchard Park uh, went through, and I, 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 I'll, I'll use your na-
4: analogy, went through the zoo exhibit? Well, that's what happened with the fruit belt, and now all of this property is being bought up, forcing people out their homes and charging you now exorbitant um, rent prices. I mean, You have people who grew up there that was paying, struggling to pay but maybe fifteen, seventeen hundred in rent. Now the people buying this property and building the condos are charging twenty five hundred in rent, and it's all You know, if you can barely afford to pay, elderly people at that, if they could barely afford to pay fifteen hundred, no way they can pay twenty five hundred. And now you're forcing these people who've been in these communities, been living in these buildings for most of their life, they're having to leave due to the, due to the socio economic now environment their status is going up higher. So, yeah, you can say if more of East, East Amherst or Orchard Park white guys and companies, yeah, if they were to go through, if more of them were to come over here to Maston or Cold Springs, yeah, it's a chance it may allow more money to come through the community, but it's also a chance that these property developers could also buy up all the property and kick everybody out.
3: What about the attitudinal change? Um, if I see people on the East Side as ooh people on the East Side, I can otherize them. I can consider them different. I can do different things. How do we get over that basic barrier of integration? How do we? How do we get the again, uh, generically speaking, the white guy from Orchard Park to drive through the East Side, maybe have a sandwich there for lunch, and realize, hey, this is okay. And then take it the next step and realize, hey, this
4: place needs more than it's got. Uh, That's a question that America has been still trying to figure out. I mean, throughout history, whether integration has tried to happen, the majority of the time, the white people would just force the black people out. And when the black people would then start their own society, their own communities and uh, prosperity, white people would still come in a for lack of a better word, just massacre all of them as well. I want to jump back to what you said earlier, that uh, you were asked to speak uh, to
3: a class at Canisius High School. What did you say to them after you asked that question? How many of you
4: have been to the East Side, and no one shot up a hand? I was just uh, in a disbelief. I just, I just said to myself, just why? Mm. Like, I mean, Canisius is literally right there, you yeah. know, you could probably put well, not in the new map that they made, but you could send. Sim- they're down the block, literally from the east side. Yeah, you know, Delaware what? and Ferry. I'm thinking, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I remember going there. I was catching the uh, the 13 bus. Um, I would get off at the Utica station and just uh, walk to Canisius. And as I'm walking, as I'm getting off these buses, you could see the environment around you start changing. You stop seeing all of the. The used cars, the used you know Chargers, the used Toyotas. As soon as you're going into this Canisius parking lot, you know you're mm-hmm. seeing these you know brand new Cadillac SUVs, just top of the line, German Italian engineered cars. And it and that's when I really started to foster reality. Like, wow, nobody, everybody else doesn't live like me. Mm. And yet, uh, maybe this
3: is where we can pivot back to a, a tribute to your mom. You were able to go to Canisius. She probably sacrificed to make that happen.
4: Uh, yeah, she told me how much uh, money it charged for me to go there, even with the, like, they gave me a, a half scholarship as well, how much it cost. And when I went back as well, they told me the price is close to around 24000 25000 to go there. Mm. Fortunately, they did say that they, um, it's still one of the cheapest private schools to go to, given the amount of scholarships that they give. And they're definitely putting in an effort to you know, make it more diverse as well. But just uh, thinking back how my mom, I was able to, how she took me out of Seneca, and I was able to go to Canisius. That was a lot of extra money that she fought for me to go to school, too, that she didn't have. Agents for Advocacy is a group that,
3: we'll be doing a lot more. Do you see it eventually um, hosting programs that will simply just talk about race, try to get more blacks and
4: whites at the table to have the discussion, whatever that discussion ends up being? i plan on doing that immediately. Like I said, all the events I had this year just was to get branding out there, focus, letting people know who we are and what we're trying to be committing to. But come next year... Uh, immediately plan on having classes about business, uh, racism, political science, government, socioeconomics, economics, credit building, everything, even just basic, basic math and science classes. Um, no, it's no secret, um, education on the east side is lacking. Yeah. In terms of health, uh, the east side is, has the highest rates of cancer, STDs, chronic and preventable illnesses, mental illnesses. Yet you have nobody talking or teaching them about health. So it's a, it's a perfect world for that socioeconomic group over there to be fighting a losing battle that they don't even know that they were in. Do you think that those problems
3: persist because simply no one has addressed them?
4: Absolutely. And people knew about it. That's how easy it was for, for this uh, Young adult man to scout the area.
3: So, in that regard, and I know I'm talking to a man who lost his mother, but in that regard, is there good to come from the shooting? Uh, is is there light now? Is there attention now given to problems? And is it enough, or is that kind of what you're talking about earlier, where yeah, okay, people talked about it for a while, and now six months later, okay, never, never mind.
4: And that's the the bittersweet part of it. I constantly tell people, would Batman become Batman if he didn't lose his parents in front of him and all the good he was able to do? And that's that's kind of how I feel some of the time. Hmm. You're Batman.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Mark Talley is with us. He's the uh, the uh, founder of Agents for Advocacy. He's the son of Geraldine Talley, uh, who uh, was killed six months ago today in the top shooting. When we come back, we'll talk more about what the community needs and what he has seen in those six months. His wife, Rosh, is also here, we'll bring her back in. Much more to come, stay with us. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO.
6: Check out the Our Town series produced by WNED PBS, but captured by community members on the Buffalo Toronto Public
2: Media YouTube channel. Ellicottville is a town of variety, not only in what they have to offer, but the people. The Burnton community is uh, becoming increasingly multicultural and the library is reflecting that. Parks and playgrounds have been what makes
6: the town of Tonawanda a great place to grow up. The series began in 2003, but it's making its debut on YouTube now. Although some of the businesses and people may have changed over the years, the spirit of these wonderful towns remain the same.
3: We just didn't realize what we had in our own backyard.
2: We need the next generation to protect it and carry on.
6: Learn about Jamestown, Burlington, Welland, East Aurora, and more than a dozen other beautiful communities in our region by watching the Our Town series now on YouTube.
1: I I would live there. (laughs) This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward.
3: not only at the Lives Lost, but at some of the activism that has uh, emerged since May 14th. And one of those who has moved forward with that activism is Mark Talley. He's the founder of Agents for Advocacy. He lost his mother, Geraldine, in the shootings. He's here to talk a little bit about what that organization has done and what he has seen in the community since that time. Education. Let's, let's delve more deeply into that. Is that the area where you think the most has has the biggest
4: potential to
3: to make an impact?
4: Uh, absolutely. Uh, society stills. Um, kids are growing up at a lot a lot faster rate. I mean, a fourteen year old, you know, was considered a woman in her childbearing years. You know, in the eighteen eighties, eighteen nineties, and since then, uh, how people view children, kind of started getting know lower and lower and lower until probably the rise of the, the internet age and the, the becoming of social media and everything that's happening. Now the average the average thirteen year old I would say would probably be more more astute and smarter than the average the average adult maybe growing up in the in the nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties due to the fact that they have all the knowledge and history on their phone. Right now, the average, average thirteen or fourteen year old is probably more computer literate than the, than just the regular, you know, average Joe thirty year old. And you spoke of it earlier in the program. Um,
3: the man accused of the shooting had certain things going on around him: exposure to social media, uh, the replacement theory was in his head because of the education he got? Is that what well, is that an area we need to reform? And and we can talk about educational outcomes in a minute and what the community needs, but talk about particularly that aspect of educational reform. How do we change maybe the class in Binghamton, New York
4: that um I don't know, takes that seed out of his head? Once again, that's a that's a million dollar question. You have you have adults here you know, learning stuff they never learned through TikTok. But this whole TikTok taught me how to do this. On one aspect, it's kind of funny. On the other aspect, it's like sad. Like you got to go to the Internet to learn something. You could have probably just learned in class. Uh, our educational system definitely needs to be reformed because we're being taught stuff that we don't use. Um, to this day, I still know that mitochondria is the powerhouse of a of a cell. Sure. I have never had to use this (laughs) ever in my life. Um, Learn how to cursive, right? It's a big debate whether cursive should still be needed or not, I say who? it's not needed. People, adults, kids, should be learning to do stuff that you're gonna be doing in everyday society throughout the remainder of your life. People need to know the history, their history and the world's history. Are we teaching enough about socioeconomics and equity? No, that's not even taught, taught in high school. And depending on what you want to major in college, you're not even taught about that. I mean, you go from being a senior in high school having to raise your hand to go use the bathroom, and now you're in college having to, having to pick out these loans with you know absorbent interest rates. In the average 18, not even 18, heck, the average adult may not know what an APR is. Average adult may not even know what their credit score is or what's a good credit score at that. And now you're forcing these kids to make those decisions once they leave out of high school, never having to learn home economics, basic economics. What's a good credit score? What's a good interest rate? Um, How can I go about buying a home down the line in the future? You have people not even knowing uh, own American history. I mean, we get hammered home, you know, who, know John, John, um, not John F. Kennedy, (laughs) the people in the Civil War. Unfortunately, I'm probably a bad example because I can't even (laughs) really name the people anymore in the Civil War. Well, we get taught and hammered that home and forgot it, but the stuff we should be knowing, you know, we don't get taught. You have this uh, Common Core math being taught, and in my mind, like, does a does a fourth, sixth grader really need to know the intricates of common core math at that age? I mean, unless you're getting into something, you know, very, very tedious when you're growing up and going to a major in college. Was it finance, socioeconomics, business, uh, math, maybe computer science? The average, average child really doesn't need to know the, the intricates that much. People really just need to be taught history because without the past history if you don't know it, you know, you're doomed to repeat it and as we can see right now we're still going through that whether it's the, the whole Roe versus Wade situation or racism situation how the shooter had the N-word on his gun I was able to find out all of these far right um, racist ideas through Twitch and 4Chain and unfortunately it's sad seeing how it's not going to you no, education isn't going to be reformed. You have people in, congressmen in Florida and in the South teaching how slavery never happened, or instead of using slaves in the in the textbook, refer to them as endeared, endured servants. Yeah, in de- right. Uh, you having having people that don't even want to teach the kids, you know, stuff relating to 100 years ago. So if those kids grow up not knowing it, That's what they're going to teach their offspring. Through the
3: course of this program, uh, oftentimes when we ask people what the community needs, we hear about education, which I think you've addressed. We hear about uh, integration and segregation, which I think you've addressed. Let's take a a moment here to talk about two others that have emerged as, as big discussion points in the past six months. Food apartheid. Uh, food desert. The fact that the Tops was the only grocery store within a certain geography there. Any thoughts? What needs to be done there?
4: You just said it. We need more grocery stores in the East Side. And how the, how can that happen? What do you what do you picture? And that's up to our local congressman. Unfortunately, due to you know redlining, gerrymandering, it's not a lot of funding. That's going to that area. I mean, I live in the in the Allentown district. I mean, we're not necessarily a rich populous district, but I can at least go up and down Elmwood in Delaware. and We can start seeing the the Lexington co-ops or the the Girdles and something in which all of these all of these mom and pop shops and organizations and stores sell fresh fresh food, fresh produce. The majority. On the east side is now people buying produce from the gas stations and corner stores. And there's definitely nothing wrong with that. They're trying to do all they can to help, but you shouldn't be buying fresh produce from corner stores and gas stations. And especially Mandela Market, I've known them now since they first went over there. And they, they definitely try as hard as they can. You know, they're a corner store slash grocery store but it's it's too much. They they shouldn't be in charge of having to supply, you know, a small district with that much fresh produce. But once again, you can just go up up and down Main Street for that matter. From downtown all the way up until you get into Williamsville and you can just you can see the difference in funding and how it's gonna be hard to compete. And we can only compete once the East Side gets that funding. But unfortunately due to the systems in place, that funding is uh it won't
3: be coming. Talk to me about housing. Uh home ownership rates are are low on the east side. Available good housing is low. Uh there's always issues about health and lead. What what's silver bullet? And I, I hate to even say silver bullet because so many of these problems require uh a solution that is multifaceted. But what do you see making a difference there, if anything?
4: It's hard to see anything making a difference. That's why I'm just trying to do my best with education. I mean, once again, people from low socioeconomic neighborhoods uh, statistically come from a single-family environment and are in poor health with little to no college experience. So once again, like I said earlier, if you have all those three things working against you, and you're what making fourteen dollars and fifty cent an hour after taxes twenty twenty six twenty seven thousand a year, let's say even without the two kids, your chances of buying a house that it's really no chance. It's just not happening. I mean, for the past close to the past six or seven years, um when I didn't even know about credit score, I've been fighting to get my credit score up and it's and it's finally able to get in the seven hundreds. But even with that, I mean,
3: for you, it really does everything circle back to socioeconomics.
4: Yeah, even with that, these mortgagers, you know, statistics based off of no mortgages, they look at the credit score. They look at your color. And if you're black, even with a high credit score, you're still less likely to get a, a mortgage loan compared to somebody who's white with an average credit score. You're a pretty
3: modest guy. Who else is doing this kind of work? Talk about, talk about others who have been, during these past six months, on the journey from grief to advocacy. I
4: um, would well, you name one of the others. Colonel Woodfield, he's out there you know, fighting Congress, uh, trying to get all of this, um, all the work done to help out here in the uh, east side. Oh, you have Thomas Buford. I've had a chance to talk to him on many occasions. He's fighting as well. President of the Urban League. Yes, sir. He's definitely out here fighting as well to do all he can do. Uh, Pastor Giles, his organization, Back to Basic Ministries, Leonard Lane, uh, Western New York Peacemakers and Buffalo Fathers, they've out, they, uh, they're out there consistently. Was it on Jefferson or Broadway trying to help out in the community? Was it giving people fresh fruit, um, just regular non-perishables and everyday items along with clothing?
3: I, I think though in some part and and I'm not denigrating the good work that people like uh, Thomas Buford or Lenny Lane are doing, but to some degree I think they were already activists. This changed people. This changed people like you from being on the sidelines to realizing that we got a problem.
4: Absolutely. I can only everything I know and wanted to do, I've I'm basically just been learning from them also can't forget uh, Jillian Hainsworth. She's been doing this. Uh, now she's fighting a fight at the, uh, with the Buffalo Bills and the stadium issues. So everything I see that they're doing, I'm aspiring to be. So when people say I'm one of the, the young leaders here in the area trying to make Buffalo better than what it is, for me to be in the same, same breath as all the uh, before-named people, I just feel that it's an honor. But unfortunately, it's still a lot, a lot of fighting we all have to do. Closing moments here. Are you optimistic? I wish I could say I am. Uh, I kinda have a pessimistic view of society based off the history of which society has shown us. So you continue to try, but you're not certain that we'll make it. Well Caesar, no, we try like I said, just laying Apollo uh just a de- pile of uh, depression and sorrow.
3: Mark. Uh, as we close, anything
4: else that you really needed to, to let the world know here on the six-month anniversary? Coming up, Agents for Advocacy. We're having our, having our Thanksgiving festival, Thanksgiving event, helpful hands, and giving thanks. If you know anybody, whether it yourself, your family, that wants to come on by, you need a hot meal, you need any non-perishable closings, any food items, whatever you need, just please feel free to stop by on Thanksgiving Day. 1130 to 1 p.m. at Friends of the Night People location, and from 3 to 5 p.m. at the corner of East Utica in Jefferson. All right, that is all we have time for. This is WBFO and WBFO
3: HD1 Buffalo, WOL and Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown. I'm Dave Debo. Thanks for listening today.